This episode is brought to you by Jackson Hewitt. This year, there's more at stake with your taxes than ever. Thousands more. New tax credits could mean a bigger refund. And Jackson Hewitt Tax Pros are here to help you track down every last credit. Credits for having a baby, going back to school, caring for a parent, and even becoming self-employed. Get credit for all you do, and you could discover thousands of dollars in new tax credits. Schedule an appointment with a tax pro and learn more at jacksonhewitt.com. What's up, guys? We're going to do this podcast. My name is Solomon Elite at Solomon Elite NBA on Twitter. So we're going to do things a little bit different today. First, we normally start off by talking about the latest news and rumors. We're actually going to hold that off until the end of the podcast. Secondly, we're doing a three-man podcast for the first time in over a year. A year. I can't believe it's been that long. This pandemic's killing the hell out of me. Um, let's go ahead and introduce the guests. Ben DuBose of USA Today Sports. Ben, how you doing? Doing well, Solomon. How are you? I'm doing all right. Ali Khan Bijani of The Athletic. Ali Khan, how you doing? Hey, Ben. Hey, Salman. Nice to see you all again. Or hear you Me all. Me too. <laughs> For sure. So I brought you guys on today because I know you both have been publicly on the record as saying you would take Evan Mobley with the second overall pick in this draft, and you've yet to waver on that. I have also been on that train, to, and today I'm taking the drastic step of joining the Evan Mobley tribe. I know, wow. I know, I know. Rockets fans have taken to calling this the Mobley mob, but it's just not big enough anymore to be considered a mob. Mobs are big <laughs> over time. Our herd has shrunk into the point where we've slowly, we've slowly been outnumbered by Green Gang by a considerable amount. This is a tribe. I think we should own that. I think we should embrace it. And today on this podcast, we are forming our very own Evan Mobley Leadership Council. So. <laughs> Ben and Alikon, I have added you to this council without your permission, <laughs> and and our first objective is going to be to add people to our tribe. We have to convert people. Let's become a mob again. That's the goal. So, guys, tell me why Evan Mobley is an awesome prospect. I guess we can start with Alikon. So, for me, it comes just comes down to the fact that he can be a first piece for you if you're starting essentially a rebuild over again. He's a guy, when you look at what he can bring to you from a skill set perspective, offensively and defensively, he gives you versatility. Let's start with defense. Guy who can play multiple schemes for you. He can hedge. He can play drop coverage. He can switch. He has great timing and ability to use angles to manipulate. Um, just to kind of be able to get, get what you want from a defensive big on the floor. And also, he plays more like a supersized wing than he does a big, which is a great thing for today's NBA. On the offensive end, you have somebody who is a great passer. Um, a lot of people are making a big deal about his passing numbers in terms of assists. Assist does not equate to passing. It all depends on how you're acting as a decision maker. Usually, he was the guy who got the ball uh, movement going. The ball came to him. He got and drew the double team. He passed it out, got the offense moving from side to side. That's kind of what you want um, from a Stevens House offense. So from those perspectives, just having a foundational piece, he makes the most sense to me. Ben, make your case. Yeah, so the way I look at it is through the prism of floor versus ceiling, but in a different way than a lot of people. I think 
a lot of folks, at least on Twitter, when they get into this floor versus ceiling, it invariably comes back to how ready they are to play in the NBA right now. And from that perspective, I get it. Jalen Green is probably going to be a better player. This is just my guess next season than Evan Mobley is. The fact that Mobley needs to fill out his frame. He hasn't had the G League experience. These things are reasonable critiques. However, I don't really view that as a fair way to judge his overall NBA floor. Because these guys, the success of this pick is going to be judged by the player they are five, seven years from now. Not the player they are in this upcoming season. And to me, no disrespect to Jalen Green, I would not be disappointed in that pick at all. I I will clarify that while I'm on Team Mobley, at the same time, Green would not disappoint me. I see the case. I even had Bobby Brown, his teammate with the Ignite, on my podcast a couple of weeks ago who just raves about his intangibles. And that's something that I really buy into with Green. But the thing is that with Mobley, the tools are there, not just on offense, but defense as well, to potentially be elite on both ends of the floor. And because of that, I think his floor, when we're talking four or five years from now, I don't see any way that Evan Mobley isn't, at a minimum, a good NBA player. He might be a lot more than that. But I think a lot of people are just trying to sort of think of only the upside scenarios and or what the team looks like next season. And in my opinion, the most important thing with this number two pick, you've got to get it right. You don't have to hit a home run, but if you hit a double or a triple, that's really good. I think a lot of people want to get, say, the superstar of the next NBA Finals winner in Houston through this pick. And maybe you can, but you don't have to. Even if this pick is simply just a very good pick, at the same time, you com- you combine that with Christian Wood, with Jay Sean Tate, with Kevin Porter Jr., with KJ Martin, and you have the salaries of John Wall and Eric Gordon starting to roll off the books in the next couple of years, you could potentially trade or sign in free agency the number one guy on a championship contender if it turns out that Evan Mobley isn't that guy. So to me, I think a lot of people are just getting hung up on this idea that, well, at number two, we've got to sort of fit, even if it's a you know a round peg into a square hole, so to speak, this number one guy on a championship contender, and if you squint hard enough, I do see the upside scenario with Jalen Green and especially with now the the run that Devin Booker's on. A lot of people want to fit that. But to me, what I keep going back to with Evan Mobley, given the fact that he is so skilled, so dynamic on both ends of the floor, I see extremely minimal bust risk with him, at least when we're talking four or five years from now. And to me, even if it's not a star, and hopefully he is, Ollie just made a great case about how he could be. But even if this is just a very good pick at the same time, that puts you on a really good trajectory as a franchise. So to me, when we're talking four or five years from now, Evan Mobley is the safest option, assuming Cade Cunningham is off the board. And that's why I'm team Mobley. That's interesting. I've actually heard people make the opposite argument that yeah, he I has- have too. And I think, yeah, I think it's just a little again, just sort of short-sighted is what I was saying earlier. I think a lot of people are sort of conflating year one, year two, how ready these guys are with an overall floor. And I just think that when we talk overall floor, it might take a few years, but by the time he truly fills out and adjusts to the reads and the speed of an NBA game, 
the skills are there that assuming he's healthy, there should be a minimal bus risk. So I see where the people are coming from. I just think it's a little bit misguided. Yeah, I just haven't seen a big man prospect move like this into Anthony Davis. Like he is a Great. graceful seven footer. I think you've heard me describe him as a ballerina before. Like yeah. he he's quick, man. He's agile. He can do pretty much everything on the floor. I think he's going to have an immediate impact defensively. Like he can score the basketball facing up, face posting up. Um, he's got these nice little baby hooks with both hands. Like, we, like he, he often start start off with a pay, like a face up, and he'll drive to the rim and show his back to the basket, and then post up and do that baby hook. Um, he's also also like an awesome passer, as you mentioned, Alikon, for a big man. Like I I don't think that gets talked about enough. He's almost always making the right move with the ball in his hands, and that brings me to a point that that may actually be his be his biggest strength. He doesn't f up. Like he never seems to make mistakes. He he protects the rim at an elite level without fouling. Like that's really really hard. Like even DeAndre Aiden in the NBA Finals right now gets in foul trouble a lot making these elite defensive plays. And he doesn't turn into a black hole on the offensive end. Like he, if he sees some something developing, whether that's an open three point shooter, a cutter, he finds them. Like I can't, I can't find a better word to describe him other than just a winner. Like, he's a winning player. USC overperformed on both ends of the floor when he was on the floor, and he got the offense moving. He was obviously uh, the main contingent for their defense. And you got to remember, it's not like USC was some powerhouse that got to the Final Four on talent all across the board. Like, one of the talking points of this draft right now is how Cade Cunningham didn't have much talent around him in Oklahoma State. Well, it's not like Evan Mobley had like crazy talent around him either. Like this was a team without elite art guard play. His dad was on the coaching staff. His brother might be the only other NBA prospect on the team, and he's probably not coming out this year. Like Mobley put this team on his back and made them winners. Like I have pretty good confidence that he can be a foundational piece. And one thing that I want to throw in very quickly about his personality, because I think some are a little skittish about him because he's supposedly quiet or not as hands-on as Jalen Green reportedly is. Unless you are physically in the locker room with him or conducting these interviews, this is something that, to me, you've got to sit back and trust that the Rockets, led by Raphael Stone, know what they're doing. It's so easy from afar to try and be an armchair psychologist, but it often doesn't work. 25 years ago, people were saying the same things about Tim Duncan. Would he ever be a leader because he was so quiet and he wasn't really the demonstrative type? And look how that turned out. The bottom line is when we're talking about personality traits and in terms of, I suppose, will to win, leadership, whatever you want to call it, you've got to trust the people who actually talk to him. So sure, you can talk to his coaches, you can talk to his teammates, and most importantly, you can talk to him specifically. But don't try and read these guys. And also, he's just 19, 20 years old. Look at how young these guys are. These guys evolve over time as well. James Harden in Houston got to be a much more vocal leader by the end of his tenure than he was at the start. So I would just say with that angle, I'm not going to say there's nothing to it, but I think a lot of fans are forcing that narrative. You've got to trust from the people that actually talk to him and or the people that actually do know Evan Mobley. You've got to trust them, led by Raphael Stone in the front office, to do their job. This is not something that any of us, ourselves included as reporters, are really qualified to judge. So I think that's something that he gets a lot of criticism for, and I don't think it's entirely fair. Yeah, and by the way, if I hear it's a guards league one more time, I swear to God, I'm going to punch a wall. Yeah. Like, it's a talent league. 
You have to have two of these three qualities in order to be an awesome basketball player. Scoring, defense, and playmaking. Mobley arguably has all three of these qualities to varying degrees. If you can't form a cogent argument about why your favorite prospect should be higher than another prospect without mentioning position, your case just isn't strong enough. If it falls apart that quickly, it's not strong enough. Uh, Aside from the Nets and the Clippers, all the best teams in basketball have a big man as a foundational part of their team. The past five NBA champions have had a foundational big on their team. And more specifically in this draft, I think people look at Jalen Green and see this heliocentric guard where he's a walking top offense in basketball or this two-way Jimmy Butler player type. And I guess I just don't see that. I, I think I don't think he's good, a good enough playmaker to be the centerpiece of an awesome offense. Ah, of an awesome offense. And defensively, his awareness is, is just not all the way there yet. Now, he could easily become like a Zach Levine type, and that's a very good player at number two. I guess I just see these uh, these other three prospects, and more specifically Evan Mobley, being more well-rounded than that. And more broadly, I, I don't see someone who could be the hub of a top offense outside of Cade Cunningham in this draft. People underestimate how special you have to be to be a facilitator like that. With Mobley, you may not get that best player on a championship team type of upside, but I definitely think you can you can get a second or third building block type of upside with him. You know, for for when it, like I think that's a great point, someone especially for the offense for the heliocentric perspective. When you're looking at the way this Rockets offense is set up, we have to understand that yes. You know, coaches can come and go, but for right now, you have Steven Silas, who has the AOK from his front office and from the owner himself, who has come out publicly and said he is fully backing Steven Silas despite this year. And so with that in mind, let's look at what Steven Silas wants in his offense. He's going to play five out. He's going to play in an offense that moves the ball side to side, and he, and he does not want the ball sticking in one part of the floor. Now, obviously, you want somebody who can get a bucket, especially late in the club situation. But the fact that you can have a guy like Mobley who helps your ball movement, helps you move side to side, and arguably plays at three positions you want from a five-out offense in a big that Steven Silas likes, which is from the corner to bring the five-man away defensively, from the slot to be able to shoot that perimeter shot but also crash the glass, or from the top of the key and run dribble handoffs and pick and roll. He can do all of those things. So if we're looking at a fit from a Rockets perspective, number one, and what Steven Siles wants from this offense, he doesn't have to be heliocentric. He just has to, he has to be able to help your offense be successful. And no matter what anybody says, yes, the Rockets have exciting pieces, but their offense was putrid. Their talent is not where it needs to be to be a winning team. And any talent whatsoever, any offensive talent whatsoever, any talent overall whatsoever, like I said, <laughs> is important. You add a guy like this in who will help you move the ball help you stay true to what your principles are and stay versatile on top of that. For me, that's that's why he gets the nod for me over a lot of other players. Yeah, and as a passer, like he is like a Pau Gasol level passer. Like he is an awesome, awesome passer. And I, I just don't think people talk about that enough. Like he really does, as you said, keeps the ball moving. And he, he may not be able to like be like a Jokic type, like again, heliocentric, but he can be like definitely someone you could run stuff through the mid post through. I could yeah. definitely see that. And, and you know, that, that's a great point, Solomon. During USC, there were, there was, there were times where he would get the ball at that mid post or high post uh, area and essentially run pick and roll or dribble handoffs. It wasn't multiple times throughout the course of the season, but it was 15, 20, 30 times you saw where he would isolate or he would get a screen from a wing and he would drive the ball inside. But before that happened, he was looking to make the pass. They would run split cuts. They would move around the perimeter. His teammates weren't open because of the spacing. He would kind of just take it upon himself 
to be able to get a screen and attack. And, and, and he's really nimble. He's really good with his movement. I think that's a very key quality he has or, that other bigs do not, which is why I called him a supersized wing. He's nimble enough where he gets low, even though he has high hips, high legs, uh, long legs. He can get to a lower center of gravity more than other centers can, and he can drive more to, north to south in a straight line. That is going to help him a lot at the next level. You know what it almost reminds me of? Like, do you remember when Bogut and Zaza Pachulia were running a bunch of split cuts in the Warriors' offense? Like, it, it reminds me of that. Like, he would find his brother a lot for these cuts, and like, legit, like, it was always the right basketball play. Always. Like, it, it, he would not like take a shot that you felt was too selfish or like was taking up possessions that the team needed elsewhere. Like, it was always whatever play he made ended up being the right off the right offensive play. And that's why I'm I'm much higher than him, higher on him as an offensive prospect than most people see. I think most people just view him as this defensive prospect that you can plug and play guys like this all around the NBA. I don't think you can find Evan Mobley's around the NBA like that. Like he's not like a replacement level big like that. Like you can't just find someone like this off the scrap heap and build a championship contender. I think he's much more special than that. And if you're if you're describing him as such, like you're really doing him a disservice. Well, and I think some of that comes back to, as I was saying earlier, I think a lot of people are focused on the alpha because they so, with this pick, want to get the guy that they can see hands down as the dominant scorer in the NBA Finals that's going to win you a championship. I'm not saying that Evan Mobley can't do that, but the fact that his game is a lot more well-rounded, the fact that, you know, we've talked about his defense, but also you're right about his playmaking, his vision, those things are not as sexy as potentially the next Devin Booker, the way people sell Jalen Green, and it fits into the here and now so well. To me, that's where I think a lot of people are going astray, because you're right. His toolbox is just so diverse, not just on defense, but on offense as well. I just see very, very minimal, assuming health, very, very minimal bust risk. And again, it just goes back to the fact that people want to so just envision that exactly how this guy is going to play. And the bottom line is you don't have to hit a home run. You don't have to get the next LeBron James with this pick. If you get a very, very good starter, and Evan Mobley can be more than that, but even if you just get a very, very good starter, I think with his tools, he's at least going to be that. You did well because you're going to be set up very well with the young core in place and the upcoming salary cap flexibility. So to me, it's not that people aren't aware of those things. I think they're just putting a little too much weight on certain other skills. No, I, I have a question for you both, actually. Um, what, we often hear this when it comes to the Rockets, and, and it's not a surprise that we've seen it, especially from the second round. They'll come back in and get a player in the second round who has a high grade, especially with analytics, um, somebody who stands out from that perspective. Now, when we're discussing Evan Mobley and you look at how well he ranks in different analytical models and statistical models, he ranks pretty highly. Um, yeah. How much of that, Ben, from your experience around the Rockets – Salman, from your experience on the Rockets, how much of that do you think has translated over um, here? And, and, and do you do you think that he fits that mold of somebody who is not only an analytic starting, but could also you know be um, somebody that they, they they want to drive just for that reason? I think we're going to learn, right? Like this pick is yeah. going to inform a lot of what this front office is for the next. I don't know, however long Rafael Stone is at the head of it, right? Like. I, I, I want to know how much influence a guy like Eli Wittes has in that front office. Uh, Eli Wittes comes from an analytic background. He is the number two guy in that front office. Um, you know, I, I, I want to know, like, is, is analytics still a huge part of their decision making? I suspect it is, but yeah. we don't really know until um, 
we get a, a large enough sample size. And this yeah. is a big indicator right here. Because clearly the 2020 draft, even though Rafael was in charge at that point, they just didn't have the picks. Or, well, they did have the Detroit pick very briefly, but obviously didn't use it. I would say this is going to be the test, but I feel pretty strongly that it's still going to be fairly analytics heavy. Just look at the hires, the fact that Ray jokes about it, but it's true. Draft Twitter is no longer draft Twitter because the founding members are now members of the Rockets. Your guys like Cole Zwicker, uh, Jake Flancer. Those guys are the additions that Raphael Stone has put into his scouting department in the past year. And I know they're not the only ones. And let's give credit to you know the recent hires, Matt Bullard, Chris Wallace. They have brought in guys with more traditional backgrounds. But clearly, they've gone off the beaten path a little bit. For some of these guys, it's really their first NBA job. So they seem to be putting a high degree of weight on the guys who do the advanced statistical modeling, those types of things. So while we don't know it until this draft, my suspicion, my strong suspicion is that it'll still be a pretty big factor. For, yeah. for me, for me, I, I, I think if if there's one way, and I know all Rockets fans are like like to do what I'm about to say right now, they like to speculate about every small detail. Uh, one small detail, if we're looking at a KJ Martin selection from the second round of the 2020 mm-hmm. draft, when Rafael Stone was barely in his job, is that KJ Martin had tools. He had physical tools and athleticism that you could necessarily mold into the kind of player that you would want him to be, which we saw that. He's becoming more of a three in this rocket system. In that same case, who would have the tools that you think you could mold and allow to be in a versatile system? Is that more of an Evan Mobley guy or is that Jalen Green? Personally, the answer for me is Evan Mobley. Yeah, he's, he's just like a moldable piece of clay, isn't he, as a mm-hmm. basketball player, right? Just because his face-up game is that good and because he can switch. Like he can switch on defense really, really well, as well as protect the rim. Most of the focus has gone to his rim protection, but the guy can move his feet. Yeah, I would agree. Clearly, in my opinion, Mobley has different ways that you can use him relative to Jalen Green. That's not a shot at Jalen at all. He's a great prospect. And in my opinion, you shouldn't complain if the Rockets draft him. With that said, there's more ways that you can deploy Evan Mobley, in my opinion. At Vanguard, we know that this is more than just a retirement plan. This is your cappuccino date in Italy, the beach house with the matching bicycles. It's your rental car down memory lane and weekends reuniting with friends from over the years. This is the future you imagined, and we're here to help you build it. Because at Vanguard, you're more than just an investor. You're an owner. Discover the value of ownership at Vanguard.com. Fund shareholders own the funds that own Vanguard. Vanguard Marketing Corporation Distributor. So we've we spent 20 minutes talking about the positives of Evan Mobley. Let's talk about our biggest concerns with Mobley and how he may not work out. Um, I see that motor comes up a lot as a concern for Mobley, and I'm I'm actually not concerned about that with him. I think his motor's fine. He's not exactly Kevin Garnett, but I don't I don't think he's this not I don't think he's dispassionate about basketball or anything like that. Like I, he just seems like a pretty timid and calculating guy, really soft spoken. I guess I don't care about that kind of stuff as much because. He's such a complete talent elsewhere. For me, there's really one big concern. I guess it fall it all falls under really one umbrella. It's it's size and weight. Like to say that Mobley could gain some weight would be an understatement. He's a really skinny guy, and the rebounding numbers are not encouraging. Like he's uh, not where you'd like an elite big prospect to be there. 
He often gets pushed around for positioning by smaller guys in the NBA. I could easily see a situation where he may not, where he may have a tougher time with bigger guys like Jokic and Bede and like Vucevic, um, especially defending them in the post. And if he doesn't pack on weight early in his career, that could be a problem. Yeah, I think that's a reasonable one. Finding the balance between certainly you want him to bulk up to some degree, but you don't want him to lose the lateral quickness that it takes to be a dynamic defender on the perimeter as well. And the switchability that makes him really unique as a defensive big prospect. The other thing I would throw out, he's so well-rounded, but and some of this won't be resolved until we see exactly how his frame fills out. But offensively, what is it that makes him an elite scorer. We've talked about how well-rounded he is, but does he fully develop the three-point shot? I agree that the form is there. Everything looks pretty good, but the sample is fairly small. That's something I think they would get a lot more out of than we know out of some of the various uh, workouts and scouting tools that they have. But then just in terms of, you know, where does he develop? Is it eventually developing sort of a mid-range game, a hybrid game, working out of the high post? Is it more, and I believe, Ali, you talked about this in one of your podcasts with uh, Jackson, sort of the Giannis model of letting him go downhill, spreading the court, letting him eventually attack. If that's the case, obviously there's a very delicate balance between speed and power that you have to find. I think he has the toolbox to be a very good offensive player, so I don't want to make it seem like I'm being critical It's just there's, as we mentioned, there's so many ways that it could play out in terms of what is his eventual formula. My guess is that he does end up scoring a healthy amount at the peak of his career, but how exactly does he do it in terms of, um, not that there's really that many low post players anymore, but, you know, is he really a rim runner type? Is he operating out of the mid to high post? Is he someone that operates behind the three-point arc and you let him sort of operate downhill and create off the dribble? There's just so many different ways, depending on his body, in part, that his career could go. So I would say that's sort of where I am. Not saying necessarily that I don't believe he's going to turn into a dominant scorer. I just don't know exactly what the path is. As opposed to Jalen Green, again, we've talked about that. I mean, there are you know, limitations, but in terms of his formula, we know what the Jalen Green formula is, at least in terms of as a scorer. We don't know the exact formula for Evan Mobley at the NBA level yet. But again, I don't think that's entirely a bad thing. There's a ton to work with. Yeah, no, uh, Ben. I think I think you said a lot of great points there. Um, I, I do want to bring up a few more quick things on him um, before we wrap up. One is rebounding. Now, this is not a problem that's exclusive to Evan Mobley. This is a problem that's much a part of college basketball and even the bigs and wings that are, uh, come from uh, from college basketball. The fact is that he has an average rebounding rate for a five, and he likes to high point his rebounds instead of getting his body into defenders. So he does have strong hands, which will you know will, will allow him to get those 50-50 balls in the air. But he has to learn how to box out and defend for a full full for a full twenty four second possession, and more so just making sure that he he like Ben said once he gets into his frame, using that frame and that size to really get the ball in this Rockets offense. You know, Steven Sauce comes from a Don Nelson's you know tree where Don Nelson allowed his guys once they got the rebound, no matter what position they were, to bring the ball up the floor. Christian Wood did that successfully. Jay Sean Tate, um, no matter who it was, KJ Martin, just naming the bigs, Kelly Olenek. If Evan Mobley is here, he will have that same responsibility, and he's done that. You know, he has that. Ch- he's had that chance um, with USC. He's shown some promise in transition. Um, he was an 81 percentile in transition as a player. So you know, when when you look at what he can do, he can do those things, but he has to be able to get better at that. Lastly, what I want to point out when it comes to his weaknesses. 
is just, you know, not just getting strength, but just being better holding his ground. He has size. He knows he has size in terms of his length and wingspan. He has to be better at getting players off their initial spots. If he can do that, he'll, for me, would become a complete defensive player. He's not there yet. That also comes with, like Ben said, uh, getting better with size. He's really good at not fouling because he stays in his lane. You think of it as a toothpick going up and down. You know, he just stays up and down. He doesn't go anywhere else. He uses his hands. He doesn't jump. He kind of gets on his tippy toes or stays on the floor. But for him to get better, he just, he, he needs to get to a point where that should be his fail-safe last option. That should not be his first option when defending bigs or kind of contesting at the rim. Get guys away from their preferred spots before the catch. Move them away from where they want to go and then contest. And I think if he can do that, that's, that's what will take him to a much bigger level that as many scouts around the league anticipate him doing. He seems like a guy that could benefit from like elite coaching. Like, like I definitely think if you get him in a room and show him some of this stuff on film, that he could pick up on it really quickly. Like he seems like a really intelligent basketball player. Yeah, and so on, you know, th- that's something I've heard. I, you know, when I, when I talk to people who covered Pac-12 basketball, they all said that this guy is very sharp. He does the preparation. You know, he's always asking questions. You know, th- that's what you want in a player. You know, like, you know, that, Ben, that goes back to your point. Someone that goes back to your point as well, where people are so concerned about his personality or the alpha, the alpha mentality. If a guy comes up and plays hard and does the work, you can have other guys on your team be the leader. And it helps if the guy who's doing well on the basketball court is showing and putting in the work and being a leader. Through example, he doesn't have to be the have to be the most vocal guy. He can lean on others to help you with that as well. And I think for him, as long as he continues to put in the work, which clearly he's shown, and based off of who I've talked to, he's shown as well. That's something that you want in a franchise player. He doesn't have to be the most vocal, but he has to be the one who sets the tone with the work ethic. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I do have concerns about whether or not he could be that vocal leader right away. And, you know, perhaps that's where v- having veterans in the locker room like John Wall might help, right? Like, And having the scoring responsibility taken away from him in the beginning might be a good thing. I think the point you mentioned, Ben, about his about him not being an elite scorer is actually pretty uh, apt. Like, I, I don't ever see a situation where he's a leading scorer on a championship team. I think he's more likely to be the third leading scorer on a championship team. Uh, I think he um, he's definitely polished. Like I, I really like his jumper from mid-range. I don't see a situation where he's shooting like 40% from three. Like I, I, I think if he becomes a good three-point shooter, he settles in at that 35 to 36% mark. Um, and that's fine. You know, that's, that's much better than most bigs. And his form really does uh, look really, really good. But uh, if he if he makes that mid range jumper a part of his arsenal, like I, I think he took far too few in college, but if he took more of them, I think that really does help with the scoring aspect. Of scoring. And you'll get plenty of that, Salman. You know, think about it. Christian Wood is their rim runner. Rafael Stone came out. You know, he said that at the end of the season. He said that during the season, Christian Wood is versatile. He can play the four, the five, but he's their rim runner. He's their vertical threat. He sets the screens. When you have a supersized wing like Mobley. He's going to play on the perimeter a good number of positions, or at least split them. We saw that with Kelly Olenek pairing with Christian Wood as well. Can Evan Mobley be a contributing member of the offense from the perimeter? I think he can, but he has to be able to knock down that shot. And if he does come here, he'll get plenty of opportunities, especially early on in his career, to, to kind of get that confidence, get that consistency going. Yeah, let's go ahead and get into some news. So we have 
our first real news week with the Rockets when it comes to this draft. Not speculation from other team executives or rumors, like actual substantiated reporting by Jonathan Gavoni, Shamsterania, and Chad Ford that the Rockets are aggressively trying to obtain the number one overall pick in this draft to, tr- to take Cade Cunningham. Additionally, several reports have come out that they are dangling Eric Gordon to the Pacers in an attempt to snag the 13th overall pick from the Pacers and use that in a package for Cade. I guess we'll start with this. Do you guys believe a deal ultimately gets done? And if it does, how much does it end up costing the Rockets? I'm going to say no, just because I don't want to get my hopes up. However, I do think that it's reasonable, if only because of that future Detroit pick that Raphael Stone got last year, that's such a big deal because of the rule of not being able to trade consecutive future first-round picks. So that really limits the flexibility that Troy Weaver and the Pistons have moving forward. I don't think that alone is going to be enough to get you the number one along with the number two, but maybe the Detroit pick, the number uh, two this year, and one more future first. I don't think they'd offer the 2022 or 2023 unprotected. Maybe one of the others, maybe 2022 or 2023, if there is a decent bit of protection to it. Um, the reason I lean to know, keep in mind that a lot of these leaks, Detroit is highly incentivized, in my opinion, if they're at all interested in potentially moving back, Houston is the obvious team to play up because Houston has the most assets. They have number two pick this year, and they have this war chest of what they can offer in the future. So be it a deal with the Rockets or trying to build up a market with other teams, it's smart for the Pistons to leak. Hey, Houston's being aggressive. Houston's a team we're interested in trading with because be it a trade with the Rockets or setting the bar somewhere else, it behooves the Pistons to have that bar high. So that's why I'm sort of looking at it cautiously. I love Kate Cunningham. I think he's a great prospect. I'm just saying no because inherently look the pistons may like Cade so much they say it's not worth it there's also other teams that are going to be trying to get it so it's one of those things do i think it's possible yes i absolutely think it's possible the rockets trade up to number one i don't think it's greater than 50 50 just because of the other options obviously the pistons keeping the pick some other team jumping in and offering an insane amount you know if they truly like um, both Jalen Green and Evan Mobile, you could even trade down to three. Maybe Colin Sexton comes into play. There's all sorts of possibilities. So I'm going to say no, just because I think it's inherently less than 50-50 with all the options, but there is a path to it, and it might be a little bit cheaper than folks think because of the importance of getting that future Detroit pick uh, back. That would mean a lot to the Pistons. So that's why I do think there's a path there. I, I personally think, and I was on alongside Ben's lines here when I say that I just I don't see – all of this coming from the Rockets camp. Um, Agree. Just, just from what I know so far in the Rafael Stone tenure, this this front office does not leak. They do not leak. They are very cautious. They they do not show their hand through the media. So from that perspective, I do think it's an attempt to play up the market. It's an attempt from other teams to kind of put out there. Oh, hey, this is what this is what the Rockets are doing. They're trying to do this, trying to do that, just to be able to speculate with the trade market. It's like kind of get that going, the phone calls come in. But as much as I think the Rockets would obviously like to have a chance at Kate Cunningham, unless the deal presents itself that makes sense and it's it doesn't kind of cost them to farm in the future, I don't think they'll do it. And, and the reason why I say that, it, it, Ben, I mean, you covered Rafael Stone. Someone, you covered Rafael Stone. What has he said multiple times through the course of this season? He said that we want to maintain flexibility. It does not make sense for him to give up his future flexibility that he worked so hard to get just early on if 
he does if, if just for, for at least for a guy like that i just i just don't see even though if you if you truly believe Cade cunningham is the next superstar he's going to be that heliocentric figure in your offense unless you believe all of that i just do not see them giving up a lot to be able to move up one spot and get that kind of player I guess I differ from you guys a little bit because I actually do think the Rockets are aggressively trying to move on. I, I, I just don't think that energy is going to be reciprocated by the Pistons. Um, let me clear. Let me be clear. I think as of right now, that energy is not going to be reciprocated. That could change in two weeks. But at the moment, I don't believe there's traction for a deal because otherwise all three of these guys would have tweeted about it instead of sticking it in an article. Like, don't get me wrong, talks to heat up over the next 10 days, but I don't believe we are at that point. Uh, a couple things are clear, Are clear though. The Rockets view Cade Cunningham as a tier above these other guys. Because if they thought Mobley and Green were on the same tier, they would be content with staying where, where they are. Uh, number two, I think it would cost a pretty penny to move up at this point. The the Pistons are expertly leveraging their position. Like you don't hear them fawning over Cade. You hear a lot of, "Hey, maybe we we should move down and take Jalen Green," you know, or maybe like we don't care that Cade is only working out with us. We're gonna go out and work out four players at this spot. I, I think it will cost Houston at least one of their own first round picks this year, um, and you know, in addition to the number two pick and uh, the now famous Pistons pick will obviously be on the table and perhaps a few, another future first of their own. I think Houston probably views those OKC picks as untouchable uh, as that was their primary haul for James Harden, but everything else I think is clearly on the table. I, I, I actually do view Cade as that heliocentric figure. So I, I'm, I'm interested to see like how aggressively they do pursue this in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, the one thing I'll point out, though, is that the rumors to this point, and only have they not come from Houston, we haven't really heard it much from uh, Jonathan Fagan or Kelly. We also haven't really heard it from Detroit. It's from more the general draft community, which sometimes, or a lot of times, those come from agents. And there's a, I guess where I'm going with that, there's agendas at play other than simply what Houston and what Detroit want to do. So I'm maintaining sort of, a little bit of caution until I see something more definitive from either the Houston or Detroit side of sort of the media fence. To this point, we haven't really heard anything on either side. So final question before we conclude our first ever Evan Moby Leadership Council meeting. <laughs> Do you see yourself wavering on this? And if so, who's that prospect that might make you change your mind about who Houston should select at number two? I personally don't. I'll jump in first and I'll let Ali wrap up. I already did waver with Jalen Green because, see, the thing that's interesting about Jalen is that because he didn't play college basketball, and I've said it before, before the June 22nd lottery, I did not let myself go too far down the road of looking at too many highlight packages, so to speak, of these guys, because I didn't want to deal with the disappointment if, if they fall to 18, how devastating that would be. So I sort of already went through the last couple of weeks, the rise of Jalen Green, getting to know him. Because, of course, through college basketball, even in studying for the Rockets, I knew who Kate Cunningham and Evan Mobley were, and especially Jalen Suggs. Uh, Jalen Green, the introduction, certainly he's fascinating. And to getting to know his personal story makes you understand those intangibles that people talk about with him even more. But at this point, you know, Jalen Green, his rep, at least to me, it's not like it's rising. Now I feel like I do know him at this point, and I respect him a lot. Not critical of him. If he's the pick, I'm perfectly fine with that. I think he's going to be a very good NBA player. But at this point, I just don't see anyone left. The only reason why that I sort of wavered a little bit was 
the unknown factor with Jalen and getting to know Jalen Green, that is, and getting to know him a bit more. Now that I've done my homework on Green, I've already known Mobley and Jalen Suggs pretty well. I feel like at this point, other than some sort of intel report from teams that sort of shifts what we know in terms of the perceptions, I feel like I'm pretty solid on Mobley, assuming, of course, that Cade Cunningham is not available at number two. All of that is on the assumption that Cade goes number one overall. But yeah, among Mobley, Suggs, and Green, I think I'm pretty solidly Mobley, although I would still be okay with Green. Um, I, I, will, I will say I've been asked that, I've been asked to play GM, been asked like who I would pick. Personally, it's very much 2A, 2B for me when it comes to Mobley and Green. I really do like Green. I've done two film studies on video um, with Locked On, uh, with Jackson on both. Um, it's really hard. It's, it's a really tough pick. I think right now, for me, I would personally go with Evan Mobley. And, and now if you ask me who I think the Rockets will take, I think the Rockets will take Jalen Green. But who I would go with as a number two overall pick, I think the, I think the answer is Evan Mobley for me. Yeah, it's interesting. Like for me, what's what could have swayed me the other way, but I, I'm I'm with you guys. I, I'm now at this point, I'm firmly in the Mobley camp. But what could have swayed me the other way is the intangibles, the quotes coming out about Jalen Green, like the how hard yep. of a worker he is, like how insanely driven he is um, to to be an elite elite player. All that stuff might have swayed me the other way. At this point, though, I'm going to stick with my guy, Evan Mobley. Our guy, you know, the Mobley tribe lives on. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I think I'm pretty set here at this point. I, I think both will be very good players. I think Jalen Green's going to be an amazing player in this league. I think Evan Mobley's also going to be an amazing player in this league. And I want to say what Ben said initially. You cannot go wrong with either player. I think both players are going to make a key difference in whatever team they go to. That concludes our meeting of the Evan Mobley Leadership <laughs> Council. Starting with Ben, where can we find your work and social media? Yep, uh, Ben Duvos on Twitter, the Rockets Wire on Twitter, and of course, rocketswire.usatoday.com. Ali Khan, what about you? You can follow me at Rockets underscore Insider on Twitter, and then you can also f- catch my work, especially the stuff on upcoming, upcoming draft on The Athletic. Uh, thanks so much for coming on, guys. I really appreciate it. I'll talk to you both down the road. Sounds good.